Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. I'm Katrina Schwartz, in for Olivia Allen Price, and we start this week's episode walking along a beach in Richmond. I expected to see a lot of sand with a little bit of broken pieces within the sand, and it was the other way around. It was like a little bit of sand, and it's all broken pottery. This is Joanne Yeda. She came here a few months ago with a friend. Oh, wow. I see what she means. Ooh, this one's pretty. I can totally see why people like to come here. I found some pieces that I took home with me, and one of the pieces was a mug that said Papagayo Room. Locals call this place Tepco Beach, after the technical porcelain and chinaware company that used to operate nearby. It feels kind of like you've stumbled on the place diner pottery goes to die. It's definitely a little bit weird, and it got Joanne wondering. So my question is, what is the whole story behind Tepco Beach? On this week's Bay Curious, we're digging into the quirky world of Tepco ceramics. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. Hey QED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Tepco pottery isn't that thin, fancy stuff that my grandmother used to keep away from me when I was a kid. It was designed to be used. It's thick and glossy, and it comes in lots of patterns. Reporter Ariel Platnik takes us to meet some folks who know a lot about it. I'm sitting outside at a cafe in El Cerrito with Sandy Genzer-Mack. She's telling me about the moment she and her husband found what they've been looking for for years. We went to this antique store and way down low in a cabinet where you could hardly see were two doggy diner mugs. We were quivering. We were so excited. These aren't just any mugs. They're Tepco mugs. And at one time, they were in restaurants all over the Bay Area. 
Sandy and her husband Lynn have an outdoor shed filled with TEPCO dishes. They had a newsletter called the TEPCO Tribune, and they started a fan club. And when we created the TEPCO Collectors Club, I was the main dish. I'm Lynn Mack, and uh, as part of the uh, TEPCO Club, I was the side dish. Sandy and Lynn, the main dish and the side dish. We flipped through a binder full of images from the original TEPCO catalog. Every plate ever made in every pattern. Bamboo leaves, wagon wheels, flowers, and pagodas. The plates also have wild names. Concord, Flame, Melody, Mohawk, Monarch, Pixie, Reef. And the dishes are beautiful in a kind of ugly way. I don't know, it's got dings and, and scratches and knots and... Uh, the, the, the quality is very bad, and the, I don't know, it's, we love it. The factory was founded in 1930 by Italian immigrant John Pagliaro. He started out making porcelain kitchen appliances, toilets, and sinks, and then realized he could do a lot more business by selling everyday items, like plates and cups. The factory produced tens of thousands of pieces of pottery every day, all handmade. TEPCO was El Cerrito's biggest employer. Oval platters and bowls were thrown on eccentric jiggers. A relative of John Pagliaro made a documentary of found footage from the TEPCO factory. Workers mix and pour porcelain into dish molds. Decorators tossed the china into a tub of water. And when the tissue soaked free, it left the design clearly registered. Then the ware was ready for the glaze dippers. Back then, TEPCO dishes were everywhere. They were at country clubs and even the Kaiser shipyards. The U.S. Army and Navy used full sets of TEPCO in their mess halls and on their ships. El Cerrito mothers, the story goes, used to tell their kids to bike down to the TEPCO factory to pick up an extra table setting. The factory was going strong, but it closed in 1968, a bit mysteriously. I called up Tom Panis at the El Cerrito Historical Society to see if he knew what happened. Rumor has it, he says, that when John Piero died, his sons couldn't agree on who should lead the company. And also, El Cerrito was becoming a more residential place. There were neighbors who didn't really want to live next to a big, loud factory. Whatever the reason, the family decided to close the business. Now, all that's left of the factory is a place affectionately known as Tepco Beach. The factory used to drive their broken plates right here to Point Isabel in nearby Richmond. Multicolored Tepco shards are piled in a thick layer on top of the sand, mixed with dried seaweed. Walk on the beach and you hear the crunch of porcelain underneath your feet. Crouch down and you can find special treasures pattern pieces and handles broken off from teacups. Remember Lynn Mack, the self-proclaimed side dish of the Collectors Club? It's just Lynn and me at the beach today. His wife Sandy recently, unexpectedly, passed away. Without her, he says, Tepco isn't that fun anymore. You know, I look at some of the collection and I, it's lost it's some of its luster. You know, because it's something we did together and now I can't even look at some of it. People with a passion for TEPCO are getting harder and harder to find. 
It's even more difficult to find people who remember life at the factory. I was going to interview a man named Frank Storno, the last living TEPCO factory worker. But the day before our scheduled interview, he died. He was 101. With Sandy and Frank gone, Lynn's big TEPCO collection really feels like the last monument to the factory. What are we going to do with all this stuff? (laughs) I have no idea. I know that these things are important to me. They're probably not going to be important to somebody else when I'm gone. But it's important to me. I've started collecting TEPCO now. You can find the dishes pretty easily at flea markets all around California. But it's more fun to see them in use, in the wild. Every so often, I sit down to eat at a diner and think I see a TEPCO plate. I flip it over to check if it has the green TEPCO stamp on the back. It rarely does. But I'll keep flipping dishes over, because one day I might find a TEPCO plate or a mug. That was Ariel Plotnick. She first reported that story for our friends on the California Report magazine. You'll find more stories from around the state on their weekly podcast. We'll put a link where you can check them out in our show notes. Okay, so we've learned a lot about the world of collecting TEPCO pottery and about what makes it so special. But the question that I have standing on this beach is why were they allowed to dump the pottery in the bay? It seems like it would be really bad for the environment. And the answer there is pretty simple. In the early 20th century, there really weren't a lot of environmental laws, and people were dumping all kinds of stuff in the bay, including raw sewage. At the time, Santa Fe Railroad owned the land, and they were thinking of filling in part of the bay to build an industrial park. So it really wasn't that big a deal to have some pottery on the beach. Really wasn't until Save the Bay started in the early 60s that laws got passed to stop the practice of dumping in the bay. Bay Curious is produced by Olivia Allen Price, Rob Spate, and me, Katrina Schwartz. We answer your questions not just on the podcast, but in our monthly newsletter, too. Get signed up at baycurious.org newsletter. Our show is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. Ooh, this is a different one. It looks like... Oh, wait. Oh, that's so funny. It's actually really normal, but it has some seaweed attached to it. I thought the seaweed was the pattern because it looked kind of like a fern or something. But I think it's just seaweed attached to the bottom. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. 
special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.